Hey. hey. Welcome. <laughs> so glad that you're here with us today and glad for those of you who are joining us online. We are actually live streaming now each of our services and, and it's a great opportunity for you um, on those weekends when you're sick or maybe you're out of town, you can still join in with your Northgate family. And if you have friends and family members um, that maybe aren't ready to set foot inside a church building, um, it's a great way to introduce them to Northgate and your church family. So um, please make use of that. And for those of you joining us on, online, we're glad that you're with us. Um, you can use on the tab there online, there's a little tab there for sermon notes, so feel free to use those and follow along with us. We are in a series we started last week called Everybody Always, and uh, been loosely based on Bob Goff's book by that title. And by the way, I would highly recommend this book. Um, it will challenge you. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. Um, but it will really make you start thinking about what it would look like for us to love everybody always. And it's a huge, huge topic, and it is so vital for us because Jesus spent three years of his life and earthly ministry pouring into these 12 disciples of his and, and mostly what he was teaching them, he didn't do a whole lot of theological teaching, mostly what he was doing was showing them and modeling them and teaching for them how to love everybody always. And at the last night that he spent with them, he told them quite blank, this is going to be the distinguishing characteristic of people who were followers of, my, of me. That if we don't get this right, nothing else we do matters. Paul talked the same thing to when he wrote to the Corinthian church. He said, if I don't have love, nothing I believe, nothing I say, nothing I do makes a difference. It is that critical. And so Jesus took three years to pour it into his disciples. We're taking at least five weeks to talk about the subject. And how do we look at it? How, how do we love everybody always without restriction, without reservation, without hesitation? How do we learn to love everybody always? Because it is that critical to what God is doing in this world. And, and it goes all the way back actually to the calling of Jesus' disciples. If you want to turn there, we're going to be in Mark 3 today. And a very brief passage, but it just says this, beginning in verse 13, that Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These were the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed them. Now you read that and you go, okay, well that's great information, you know, it's just a list of names, people I don't know. But Jesus saw something very specific in each one of these guys that they probably didn't see in themselves and certainly no one else saw in each other. He saw something in each of them and he called it out of them and it really goes to what we're gonna be talking about today about loving everybody always and, and, and letting people know what you see in them because that's a big, big part of what it means to love someone. And so we're gonna look at this, just look at these couple of guys and the names that are here and the stories behind them and, and what Jesus saw in them. And it's all about this loving everybody always and it starts with this simple idea. Learn to see the best in people. Look for the best in people. To love somebody requires that we spend time with them. You can't love somebody from a distance. 
You really can't. And the problem is that we tend to gravitate to those that are easily lovable, the people that love us back. And, and I, can, I can fool myself into thinking that I'm really good at loving people when all I do is hang out with the people who love me back. It's real easy to think that I'm a good lover of people that way. It's a lot harder with those people that I don't gravitate to, the people that I tend to avoid. See, Jesus' whole strategy was the be with strategy. Do you notice that? It says in verse 13 that Jesus went up to the mountainside and called to him those that he wanted, and and they came to him, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him. For three years, they spent time with him. And he brought them together so that not only would they learn how much God loved them and they would learn to love Jesus, but that they would learn to love one another. See, I tend to avoid the people that are the difficult people in my life. You know who those people are. You've got them in your own life. They're the kind of people when you're at the grocery store and you happen to see them, you duck down another aisle. (laughs) Don't look at me like you don't do that. We've got those people in our life. We would just as soon avoid them. We don't want to spend time with them. But Jesus deliberately puts us together with those kinds of people. He does it so we would learn how to love each other. See, you cannot be with Jesus and then avoid the other people that are with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. And Jesus specifically put this group of people together. Look at this list. It says, he called to them, the 12, and appointed them, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name, some other name, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, I want to point out those two names, Matthew and Simon the Zealot, because those two guys could not be any further apart. If you don't know anything about these guys, Matthew had been a tax collector. In fact, when Jesus called him to come follow him, he called him right out of his tax collector booth. Now, the Romans were an occupying army, an occupying regime in Palestine at that time. And so to be a tax collector, if you were Jewish, to be a tax collector, you were were a traitor. You were a collaborator with the enemy because that money was not going to to take care of people here. That money was all going back to Rome. And and very often, um, they had the freedom to charge whatever they wanted to. And so they could could heap surtaxes on top of surtaxes and that money they got the pocket for themselves. So they were considered to be traitors and collaborators. They were considered to be thieves. And and they were just like, you know, no self-respecting Jew would hang around with the tax collector. That's why Jesus got into so much trouble when he did. At the other end of the extreme is Simon the Zealot. Now, if you don't know who the Zealots are, they were like, they were like terrorists, actually. They hated the Roman oppression. They hated the Roman rule, and they would do anything they could to stir up trouble. They, would, they were known to murder Roman officials or soldiers if they could. They were like the two opposites. You have this guy who's considered a traitor and a collaborator, and at the other end, you've got this guy who absolutely hates traitors and collaborators, and Jesus brings them both together as a part of his 12, and it's really hard to avoid somebody when you're in a group of 12. It's easy to get lost in a crowd, but when you're in this group of 12... And Jesus specifically did that so that they would learn 
to love one another. See, love is not only for a few. It's for everybody, always. And God puts those difficult people in your life, in your family, (laughs) in your church, so that you would learn how to love. And so the best thing that we can do is learn to look for the best in people. And when I talk about looking for the best, not just trying to find a few good qualities, but, but really look below the surface, drill down deep, because every one of us are created, scripture tells us every one of us are created in the image of God, which means there is some imprint, some stamp, some residue, some remnant of his image in every single person, whether they are a Christ follower or not, whether they are a believer or not, it doesn't matter. That stamp is there, and our job in loving people is to look for that remnant of God's image. What is God doing in this person's life? Why has he brought that person into my life at this time? What is he doing in me through that person? Bob Goff writes this. He says, what skews my view of people who are hard to be around is that God is working on different things in their lives than he's working on in mine. And that's very often the case. So look for the best. Look for God's imprint in somebody else, especially in those people that are hard for you. What is God doing there? What does God see in that person? And then when you see that, then speak to their strengths. See, it's not enough to just see it and recognize it. It's it's to verbalize it. Um, you know, it's a very popular saying around now, especially if you're in the airport or, or in a public place, it's see something, say something. You know, if you see something that's irregular, speak up, say something. Um, well, we could turn that around and do it something in a very positive way that when you see something good in somebody, say something, speak it out, speak to their strengths. See, Jesus didn't just recognize something in these guys, he called it out of them. It says that there were 12 that he appointed, and among the 12 that he appointed was Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Now, Peter's name means rock. And if you read the gospel accounts, he was anything but a rock. He was brash, he was impulsive, um, he was unpredictable. He was usually the first one to speak out. Um, he would do things that nobody else would do, say things nobody else would say. He, jumped, he was the guy that jumped out of the boat when Jesus came walking on the water. And everybody kind of gives him, you know, gives him a bad rap because he sank. But hey, he's the only other guy besides Jesus that ever walked on water. There was an impulsiveness about him, but it was it was a it was an, a tenaciousness. There was a, there was an eagerness about him, and that's what Jesus saw. And so Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. And we have the account where that actually happens. It happens um, later on in their ministry, in Jesus' ministry. And Jesus has spent a whole day um, talking and teaching. And they've kind of come aside. It's just him and the 12. And, and he turns to the 12 guys, his 12 disciples, and he says to them, so what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? And some say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. And he says, no, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, brash, impulsive Peter, is the first to speak up. And it says that Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
Simon says, you're the Messiah, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, that's your foundation. That's gonna be your solid rock. That's what you're gonna stand on. And that rock became Peter's rock and it became life-changing for him. Jesus saw something in him that he couldn't even see in himself and certainly the other guys didn't see it in him, but Jesus did. And every time that Jesus would call him by name, Peter was a reminder of who he really was and who he could fully become. And it makes such a difference when you speak those kinds of words into people's lives. Back in 1988, um, the Los Angeles Dodgers had, had a star pitcher. 1988, by the way, that was the last time the Dodgers won the World Series. I'm just saying, okay? And it may be another 10 years, but I digress. Oral Hershiser was an incredible pitcher. He finished out the 1988 season pitching 59 consecutive scoreless innings. Incredible. And then they went to, the, to the, um, the NLCS, the National League Championship Series, and they were playing the Mets. And it went down to Game 7. And in Game 7 of the National League Championship Series, 1988, he pitched a complete game shutout. Six to nothing they won. He was an incredible pitcher. He didn't start out that way. He started out actually in the bullpen, then he became a starter, but his problem was that he was too timid, and the Tommy Lasorda, who was the manager of the Dodgers at the time, went to him and he said, listen, you, you, you can't give in to these batters, you gotta be in there, you gotta, you gotta, don't give them the plate, you know, you can't be timid, you gotta, you gotta challenge them, you gotta get in there, and he says, you gotta be a bulldog. In fact, he says, I am going to start, that is my nickname for you, you are a bulldog. Now, if you've ever seen a picture of Oral Hershiser, he doesn't look like a bulldog. He's pretty thin, lanky, but man, he could pitch. And sort of gave him that nickname, Bulldog. And, 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 and he just kept, kept after him, just kept telling him, you are a bulldog, you're a bulldog. And, and in that final game, anybody know who the opposing pitcher for the Mets was in that game? It was a guy named Ron Darling. So all through that game, as Oral Hershiser was pitching shutout, shutout, shutout innings, Lasorda's in the dugout, and he's saying, come on, Bulldog, you got him, Bulldog, you take this man down, Bulldog. And all Davey Johnson, the best that he could do from the Mets dugout would say, come on, darling. <laughs> all the difference it makes. Because somebody believed in him and gave him a new name. See, we can do that. We can call out the best in people. And it costs us nothing. It doesn't cost us a thing to compliment somebody, to, to say something about them and what I see in you. To say to them, I believe in you. You got this. Don't give up. I had, when I was back in college, in my freshman year of college, and I was still kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with my life and what I thought God maybe wanted me to do with my life, and I was planning on being an architect, honestly, but I had a man in our church by the name of Lionel Johnson. He's actually Megan Friedman's father, and he came to me one Sunday, and I'd been involved in helping in the youth ministry and doing different things in the church ministry there, and he came to me one Sunday after church, and he said, I'm not telling you this is a word from the Lord, Nothing like that. I just want you to know, I see in you a pastor's heart. And that has stuck with me to this day. One sentence, one conversation. 
but it so influenced my way of thinking about my life and what I should do with my life. See, it's not enough to just recognize it. See something, say something. Say those words. Every time Jesus would call Peter by name, it was a reminder, this is who you are. This is what I see in you. This is what you can become. And towards the end of Jesus' ministry, as the crowds got bigger and bigger, he started talking more um, seriously about what it would mean to be a follower of his. And that it wasn't always going to be, you know, sunshine and roses. And there was going to be difficult at times, but he was calling for a commitment. And it says in John's gospel that after that time, many people turned away and no longer followed him. And Jesus turned to the 12 and he said, what about you? Do you want to leave also? And Simon Peter said these words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. He found his foundation. And as Jesus spoke that into his life, it became solid for him. Now, he was still human, and he still made mistakes. In fact, not long after this, he probably made one of his greatest, what he would probably tell you was one of his greatest failures when he, betray, when he denied knowing Jesus. But, but that goes to the third aspect of it. And loving people, every, everybody always, is not just looking for the best and speaking it, but it's also being patient with their weaknesses. Because people are going to let you down. And even the people you believe in the most and you trust the most, they're still human and they're going to fail and they are going to let you down. They are going to have their, along with their strengths, they also have their weaknesses. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church these words. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Patient, bearing with one another in love. See, that also is a part of loving everybody always. We need patience with each other. Jesus was not naive. He didn't have a blind eye to the weaknesses in these guys. He knew their weaknesses. He spoke to their strengths, and he was patient with them in their weaknesses. Um, he gave nicknames, actually, to two other guys. I don't know if you noticed that. Guys named James and John. They were brothers. They were among the 12 that Jesus appointed. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them, he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Now, what do you have to do to get a nickname like that? They, they, were, they, were, they were also brash guys. They were very, very fervent. They were, they were devout. They were passionate. They were committed to Jesus. They were all in kind of guys. Um, and sometimes maybe a little too fervent. Um, you, every once in a while, you read in the Gospels how the disciples are kind of arguing among themselves, and Jesus would kind of call them on it and say, what is it you guys are arguing about? And usually they were arguing about who was the greatest. And right at the center of all of those arguments were James and John. Because <laughs> see, they were kind of like, Jesus had the 12, and then there were like Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They were kind of this other four that they, they got extra face time with Jesus, if you will. And so I'm sure they're kind of thinking like, well, we're all in. We're more, you know, we're more committed. We're more devoted than these guys. We're greater than they are. We're better disciples than they are. They were fervent, but not in a humble kind of way. 
There were, there's another occasion where um, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and it says that, they had, that he, he chose to go through Samaria to get there. And as they were going through Samaria, they came across a village and, and the people in the village didn't want anything to do with Jesus or the disciples. They just kind of told them, no, keep on moving, nothing to see here, you know, move along, move along, move along. And, and James and John were so irate that they would treat their, their master, their rabbi this way, that they went to Jesus and they said to him, do you want us to call down fire on them? Like they could actually do that, I don't know. But that was their impulsive, that was their, that was their brashness. They were, they were so dedicated to Jesus that they were, they were just like wanting to condemn anybody that didn't. It's another occasion where um, uh, they were coming along and actually James and John came up to Jesus and said to him, you know, we saw a man and he was driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. And Jesus says, wait, wait, wait. Anybody who's not against us is for us. Why did you tell them to stop? See, they were zealous and, and they were devout, but it was mostly in a narrow-minded, um, intolerant, judgmental kind of way. And that's the trouble. It's nothing wrong with being devout. There's nothing wrong with being all in. But sometimes, fervency without love can be cruel to other people. And devotion without love can easily devolve into judgmentalism. And speaking the truth without love can only heap guilt and shame on people. And that's not what Jesus did. Fortunately, over those three years, they learned a little bit about, from Jesus about love. They didn't lose their fervency, it just got tempered and channeled in the right way. And you read the Gospel of John, who is the same John here, and he writes about God. In fact, John 3.16, the most well-known scripture, maybe in all the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believed on him would have, not perish, but have everlasting life. John wrote that. John wrote those. Those are the words that stuck in his mind as he heard Jesus say those words. He wrote them down and made sure they were recorded. He also, at the end of your New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those are the three letters that he wrote also. And 1st John in particular writes more about love and the importance of love than any other, any other New Testament writer. John learned to channel his fervency into love. And it made all the difference. It's great to be devoted. It's great to be fervent in your following of Jesus, but don't do it without love because it's love that makes all the difference. And it was John who wrote these words. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He learned the lesson. See, that's, that's, that's why this is so important, that we learn how to love everybody always, that we look for what God is doing in somebody's life, look for the best in them, and then call it out, speak it out, and also be patient with each other, because we're all going to fail. That's why one of our, two of our core values around here is that we are all people in process, none of us has it all figured out yet, but we are going to be a grace-filled community where people, even with their failures, will still be loved.
Bob Goff writes these words. What made sense to me when I first heard about Jesus is how he doesn't give us a bunch of directions intended to manipulate our behavior or control our conduct. Instead, he has, a beautiful, has beautiful hopes for us and has told us what those are. But he isn't scowling at us when we're not yet ready to have those same hopes for ourselves. He won't love us more or less based on how we act. And he's more interested in our hearts than the things that we do. He's not stuck telling us what to do, when to do it, or what we want either. Far better. He continues to tell us through our successes and our mistakes who we are. And here's what he wants us to know. We are his. Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to hear today, you are loved by God. He loves you so much. And he wants you to know his love that he gave his one and only son who gave his life on a cross as the ultimate expression of love so that you could live in that love relationship with him and that you could extend that love to the people around you. So who is that one person in your life that you tend to avoid that really needs your love, needs God's love through you? Could you this week love them in some way Maybe not in your own strength, because this is hard stuff if you try to do it by yourself. But Jesus is with us. He is in us. And he will give us that ability if we will take those chances. And it costs us nothing. First century church had no vote, had no political power, had no influence, had no strength. But what they had was love. And by that, they changed the course of human history. And I believe God wants to continue to do that through you and through me. Now, maybe you're here today and you don't know that love. I want you to know God loves you. And he has an incredible way of life for you. And you can get in on that by just simply admitting your need, your weaknesses, your failures, your sin and just receiving his forgiveness and letting him change you from the inside out. And maybe you're here today and you are feeling broken and just life has fallen apart and you just don't know how it could ever be put back together. There is nothing so broken that God cannot mend it. Or maybe you're here today and you're feeling lost. You've been drifting. You've been going through life and just kind of wandering around and you feel totally lost. Listen, there is no one so lost that God cannot find them. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling totally dead inside. There is no life in you. You've got nothing left. There's nothing, no one so dead that God cannot raise them up. He loves you. He wants the best for you. And he wants you to be able to give your best for others. So I'm going to invite you to join me in this prayer. And maybe if it's a first time prayer for you, make that decision today. Lord, I can't change myself. I've got my faults, my failures, my weaknesses. You know them better than I do. But you see something in me worth loving. And I need that kind of love. I give you my weaknesses. I give you my failures, my faults, and my sin. And I'm just asking, would you forgive me? Would you put your life in me? Would you change me from the inside out? For your kingdom's sake. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Would you stand together with me? And if you're watching us online, you don't have to stand. Um, but I do want to leave you all with this blessing. And before we do, if you are here, uh, and especially if it's your first, second, or third time, please make sure you take this connection card, fill it out, stop by the new friend's uh, corner there on your way out. Give us a chance to connect with you. If you're watching us online, you can actually fill out that connection card online. Let us know how we can pray for you, how we can support you. Um, there's a place for prayer requests, any of those kinds of things. We want to connect with you. We want to show you God's love however we can. So please let us do that. Now, uh, let me leave you with this blessing. We also have prayer partners, I almost forgot, who are, if you're here in this room, they're here to pray with you. If you've got something going on in your life that you could use some prayer, they're happy to do that. So please make, make yourself available for that. All right, These is, this is the blessing that I would leave with you. If you would just in that posture of receiving and surrender, it's simply this. May you hear the voice of Christ speaking words of love to you. And may you turn those words around and speak them to those around you this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online. We will see you again next week.